In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In St. John's account of the events of the evening of Maundy Thursday, he does not include the institution of the Lord's Supper. He speaks much of the love that Jesus has for his disciples, a love which shows itself when he washes their feet. And John also records Jesus' mandate, that new command that the disciples love one another as he has loved them. But John does not include the institution of the Lord's Supper. This might lead us to conclude hastily that John is a less sacramental gospel or that John is uninterested in the sacrament of the altar. That is not the case. Though John does not relate to us Jesus' words instituting the sacrament in our text for this evening, we first of all know from the other gospels that the context in which Jesus speaks the words we hear in tonight's gospel, uh, we know that in that context he did institute the Lord's Supper. Uh, and it's also clear uh, by reading the Gospel of John in its entirety uh, that John writes these words even to instruct the church in her sacramental life. That is, Jesus' words about love toward one another, which we heard this evening, and the love which he himself shows for his disciples, these are all words that are actually teaching us about the Holy Sacrament. Eating and drinking in the sacrament of the altar, eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus, is an expression of love. And out of this love flows unity and reconciliation. This love first flows from God to us, and it is chiefly manifested by God the Father sending Jesus into the flesh to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this love is shown in his granting us the gift of faith to put our trust in that sacrifice. He also demonstrates this great love for us by giving us this blessed sacrament, which does such great things as forgiving sins, granting life and everlasting salvation. And as Christ says to his disciples, it is that love that he has shown to us, love that shows itself in his sacrifice and granting us the sacrament, that love enlivens our love toward God and our love toward one another. It is this love toward God and our neighbor which compels us to celebrate the sacrament of the altar in unity. This means unity in doctrine. And this Paul is boldly defending in his first epistle to the Corinthians, part of which we heard this evening. The Corinthians were fractured in doctrine, some claiming to follow Paul, others claiming to follow Apollos, still others claiming to follow Peter, and others still claiming to follow Christ. Some did not believe in the bodily presence of Christ in the sacrament. And so Paul tells them that when they gather together to receive the Lord's Supper, it is not actually the Lord's Supper that they are eating. For the Lord's Supper is a supper of unity and faith, but they are gathered in disunity and unbelief 
of the words of the Lord. It is because of such abuse of the Lord's Supper, says Paul, that many are sick and some even have died because they are taking the Lord's Supper in such a manner. Unity flows from love, and the Corinthians lacked that unity and thus failed to show forth the love that is demanded for the right reception of the Lord's Supper. They lacked the love for God, a love which leads to pursuing unity in doctrine and in practice. And therefore they lacked love for one another. And so they gave a false confession by receiving the Lord's Supper together. As Jesus says, by your love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. Love unifies, and it is in that unity that the Lord's Supper is to be received. The Corinthians received the sign of unity while living in the reality of disunity. By receiving the Lord's Supper together, they gave the false confession to the world and also to others in the church that they were united in doctrine when nothing could be further from the case. And so it is that love compels us here even at Bethany, to be in unity when receiving the sacrament of the altar. We commune with those who believe the same things we do, not just in one point of doctrine, but in all points of doctrine, including what we believe about God, about sin, about marriage, about life, the Lord's Supper, baptism, the church, the list goes on. To some, this practice of receiving the Lord's Supper in unity of doctrine seems unloving, perhaps even unchristian. But to do anything else would deny the instruction of the scripture and it would give a false confession of doctrinal unity where it does not exist. To commune with those who do not believe as we do would demonstrate a lack of love toward God in what he has spoken to us in his holy word, and it would also demonstrate a lack of love toward our neighbor in letting him outwardly confess something which he does not in fact believe to be true. The love which Jesus speaks about in the Gospel of John drives us to unity. But it does not just drive us to unity, it also moves us toward reconciliation with our fellow Christians. It is an outflowing of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount where he states, if you come to offer your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift at the altar. The love for one another which Jesus commands in John 13 requires us to forgive those who have sinned against us and to seek forgiveness from those whom we have sinned against before we come to the altar to receive the Lord's Supper. That is, after all, how Jesus loved us, by forgiving our sins and not holding them against us. Even so, we may not hold sins against our brethren and still claim to be Christians. For to hold a grudge and refusing to forgive your brother is nothing short of hatred. And as it is written in St. John's first epistle, 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So you also must forgive those who have sinned against you and seek forgiveness from those whom you have sinned against. Although we did not do it this evening, there is the common practice in our churches on Maundy Thursday of sharing the peace after being absolved toward the beginning of the service, publicly acknowledging that there is nothing left unforgiven among those Christians who will be receiving the Lord's Supper together. Though we did not do that, it is imperative that you forgive your fellow Christians if you desire to receive the Lord's Supper without risk of judgment. So, dear Christians, let us come to the altar this night in the love that we have received from Christ and the love that we have for one another. Let us come in unity of doctrine and confession. Come at peace with your fellow Christians, harboring no anger or resentment toward them. Let us receive the Lord's Supper in this love and to our benefit, showing forth to the world that we are truly Christ's disciples. And let us come loving and trusting in the word of promise that the Lord Jesus attaches to this meal. For by giving us his body and blood at this altar, he is forgiving us for those times when our love for God and our neighbor has faltered. He is strengthening our faith in God and therefore also our love of God and our love toward one another, that we might always be the more unified in confession of his truth and always the more zealous in forgiving one another, even as he has forgiven us. As we sang moments ago, may God bestow on us his grace and favor that we follow Christ our Savior and live as brethren here in love and union, nor despise this blessed communion. Let not thy good spirit forsake us, sake us. Grant that heavenly-minded he make us. Give thy church, Lord, to see days of peace and unity. O Lord, have mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.